The subject I'm going to look at today is that of dealing with temptation. We have just had read to us Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11 when Jesus was tempted by the devil. I believe this is a very important word I'm bringing and it's a subject that we all know so much about. We know what it means to be tempted and do wrong. We know the pain of losing a battle against temptation. Whether it's a small or a serious issue that tempts us to do wrong, we have all experienced that temptation and desire to sin. Now, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and fell from grace in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been plagued with a sinful nature because Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as believers, we face the daily tension of living a life under the control of the Holy Spirit and pleasing God and the tension of giving in to our own selfish desires and yielding to temptation. Now, even as little children, we have the inclination to deceive our parents and lie to them. And I can remember an example of my little sister. She was about five years of age. We lived in England at the time and we lived in an old house that didn't have wall to wall carpeting and um, it had you know, uh, floorboards down, a bit of lino, but um, she wasn't very well. My mother went to the doctors to get some medication for her and it was foul tasting stuff. She didn't like it. So my mother would try to persuade her to drink it and slowly but slowly she, she would take it. But she had several days supply. So my mother would then put it in a little glass and say, look, you drink it at your leisure and I'll go and wash the dishes. But she had a feeling one day that something wasn't right because the medicine was disappearing so quickly. And when she peeked through the kitchen door, there she was, seeing my sister pouring this medicine down a little crack, a hole in the floorboards. She didn't want to take it. (laughs) This was the early 1950s. And of course, uh, she thought she could get away with that sin. I can also remember as a nine-year-old girl in American school, um, I was supposed to have my homework checked by my father. He would watch me do my maths then to make sure I didn't cheat. And then he would sign his signature on it and I would take it back to school the next day. Well, when I was in this school, this particular American school, um, I got very nervous because one night he didn't sign my work. I can't remember if he wasn't there or whether he just, I'd forgotten to ask him. So what I did when he went off to work the next morning, I found some papers with his signature on and I practiced his signature and I got it off to a T. And what I basically did was forged his signature. The teacher didn't know any different and my parents didn't either. (laughs) I actually think I could have been a criminal forger to this day. But anyway, I didn't tell them my sin until much, much later on and we had a laugh about it. But even children will try and cover up their sin. And we have done that as adults, I know. So I want to look at the way Jesus handled temptation in order to help us to see that he is our example in the way to overcome it. And so Matthew records that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days and the devil came and he was tempting him in that time. And we know that Jesus is the only person who has lived a totally sinless life on this earth uh, so that he could die for our sins. So to prove this, it was important that he underwent Satan's testing in his own life. So what way was Jesus tempted? How did he overcome the devil? Firstly, the devil tested Jesus physically. This was a physical temptation of his body because verse 2 of Matthew 4 tells us that Jesus had eaten nothing for 40 days. He was very hungry. He would have been weakened in his body. 
physically drained of energy and strength. And at that moment, Satan comes to attack him. He knew exactly when to test Jesus. He waited until Jesus had completed this long fast and he would have been very weak with hunger. And at theological college, Paul and I learned that if you take a 40 day fast, the body will struggle for two or three days with hunger and then it will dissipate and it will ride out that fast until you get to that 40th day. And then the body is struck with very strong and forceful hunger pangs. So Satan comes and he speaks these words to Jesus. And this was the first doubt in Plinted in the mind of Jesus. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. This was the first doubt here. He used the word if, if you are the son of God, trying to put doubts into the mind of Jesus about who he was. Now, did Jesus have the power to turn the stones into bread? Yes, he did. But would it have been the wrong use of God's power? Yes. This would have been about serving himself, meeting his own needs immediately in the wrong way. But Satan was questioning the spiritual authority of Jesus when he would have been most physically vulnerable to the temptation to satisfy his hunger very quickly. And Satan was saying, why should you have to wait until you can buy bread? Just speak the word now and turn these stones into bread if you are the son of God. I think this is exactly what Satan does with each of us. He plants doubts in our minds. Did the Lord say you're really his beloved son or daughter? Has he promised to look after you and provide for all your needs? Will God really stand by you and help you this time to face this difficult situation? Does God care about you? Does he know what's going on in your life and your family? And does it matter to him? Satan is very good at putting those sort of doubts into our hearts and minds, whether we are fasting or not. He insinuates God isn't with us, tries to make us believe lies about ourselves and about God. So the thought is not the sin. Jesus had the thought. It is not the sin, but yielding to that thought, believing that thought and acting acting upon it is sin. So what was the immediate response of Jesus in this situation? He answered Satan with the words from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that word there is referring to the rhema word of God. It's a specific word that's spoken into a specific situation. God's word is a logos. It's given to us to to encourage us, but there are specific rhema words that mean something very, very important. Jesus knew the scriptures, so he could refute the devil with a specific rhema word of God uh, with that particular temptation to deal with it. The Lord didn't allow his physical hunger to tempt him to yield to the devil's suggestion, that he should be taking care of, number one, himself, his own needs. And when we are tempted to do wrong, it is usually all about us and our feelings. It's all about meeting our needs, taking care of number one, taking care of Janice and what she needs. That's what yielding to temptation is about. And James 1, 13 tells us, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the rhema word was the very weapon that Jesus used against Satan to combat his lies. And I believe the word of God is just the weapon we should use when the devil seeks to tempt us to do what's wrong. It becomes a tool in our hands to rebuff and refute Satan's lies.
Therefore, it's very important for us as Christians that we know our Bibles so that we're able to use scripture to confront the devil when he tries to cause us to sin. And when he tries to cause us to move out of God's will by planting doubts into our minds. So many years ago, Paul and I faced a huge crisis in Riverside Church in Southampton. This crisis caused by a hidden sin of someone uh, split the church because it was such a difficult, difficult trauma we were going through. And the church that was had grown so large was now reduced by more than half. And we were, you know, it was a very difficult situation. And we didn't know, should we leave the church? Should we stay there to care for the remaining sheep? Or, or should we move on somewhere else? Or even give up the ministry? The devil planted doubts and fears in both our minds. He said this, if God's called you here and God has grown this church, then why has he allowed this to happen? Just go, leave the church, leave all the problems behind you. Both Paul and I were physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally exhausted, but we kept on praying about what to do. And one morning we woke up with exactly the same verse in our minds. I said to Paul, the Lord has given me a scripture in the night. And he said, yes, so is that, so has he given me a scripture. And when we compared notes, it was the same scripture from Genesis 50, verse 20. When Joseph tells his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph was talking to his brothers after they'd sold him into slavery because of their jealousy. Now they were all reconciled after Jacob's death, but they were very worried that he might take, uh, punish them in some way. And he was explaining to them God's will and his purposes, that although you intended evil, God brought about good. So God told us, I'm still with you. You will change. The situation will change. The direction of the church will change. The whole thing would be changed. We in ourselves would be changed people. And he confirmed that we should stay at Riverside Church. And, and in fact, over the next 10 years, we saw a very fruitful period of ministry when hundreds of Polish people came into our country and came into our church and were born again. I think we saw between 200 and 300 people coming in and getting saved. Some people came into our country and they were already Christians and joined our church when they realised we had such a huge Polish congregation. And years later, our church helped to plant a Polish church in Southampton as a result of this amazing time of ministry that God was blessing. And in fact, we have with us today in Riverside, um, in New Life Church, uh, Pavo and Agnieszka and Roxana and Jacob and the two sisters. Uh, they joined our church in, during that period of time. But we learned a lot through um, going through a very, very difficult time when we questioned God and God gave us a rhema word. He turned things around. So the rhema word of God helped to keep us on the straight and narrow. And we then continued in that church for a good few years um, before we retired. So every doubt, every fear and every temptation that we face each day can be overcome through the use of scripture in our lives. And it will help us to stay within God's perfect will. So not only did Satan try to attack Jesus uh, in his body when he was physically weakened to make him commit sin, but he also tried to tempt him in another way. The devil tested Jesus mentally. Now, this was temptation in his mind, in his will, in his soul, his very personality, his very thoughts. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He'd been alone in the wilderness. 
And as a human being experiencing normal human emotions, I think that Jesus would have begun to feel lonely, probably longed for the company of other people. He was a people person. He loved being with people and that's why he came to earth. He came to earth as the son of man to share the gospel of salvation and grace with sinful mankind and to save us. But we know that Satan hates God. He constantly seeks to thwart his purposes in people's lives. And Satan was determined to to attack the humanity of Jesus through his mind when he was completely alone at the end of a very long 40-day fast. So Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple. And once again, he plants a second doubt in the mind of Jesus. And he's quoting Psalm 91 here, verse 11 to 12. He said, if you are the son of God, again, if, if you are, throw yourself down for it is written. And this is the scripture he quotes. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's informing Jesus here that he won't be hurt because the angels would lift him up to safety. However, this was a wrong use of scripture because Satan uses this verse out of context. The psalmist states, in this verse, that he's able to trust God to take care of him and to protect him in every difficult circumstance he faces. Trusting God is his source and place of security and safety. And Satan was twisting the scripture to say, if you throw yourself down, you'll be okay. You'll go back to the Father. Uh, Everything will be fine. Was he suggesting to Jesus there's a way out of the path that was before him? Jesus didn't need to complete this mission that would lead to his death on the cross. Was he seeking to tempt Jesus to end his mission at that point? And the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just like us, however he didn't sin. So Jesus had to be tempted in his body. He had to be tempted in his mind. And Hebrews 4 verse 15 declares, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So I have to conclude that Jesus knows and understands the minds of everyone who has ever struggled with mental health issues or even contemplated suicidal thoughts. Was Satan here trying to persuade Jesus to throw himself down off the temple so that the godly mission on earth would be aborted? Once again, the weapon that Jesus used against the devil's wiles was God's word. His answer was a quote from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I just love the fact that Jesus recognises the devil's tactics. He lets him know who he is, attempting to mislead. And Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He rebuffs Satan and lets him know exactly who he is. I'm the Lord God you're tempting and you're not to do this. Because Jesus knew why he'd come to earth. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he said in John 12 verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he was talking to his disciples at that point about his death and resurrection and that his life and death would bear much fruit, eternal fruit. And Satan is trying in vain to tempt Jesus to give up this person purpose to give up this mission but Jesus uses God's word powerfully to protect his thought patterns and in subsequently to protect his actions to protect him from any wrongdoing he uses God's word so for us Jesus understands all that we struggle with in our daily lives because he knows what we face each day he has faced the same thing 
and he demonstrates how to overcome the tempter. He put the devil firmly in his place and therefore we need to follow the Lord's example when we are tempted in the same way. But God promises to help us when we're tempted and he has given us the power and authority to overcome Satan's wiles and temptations. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, there are times when we might be tested with thoughts of fear, thoughts of anger, self-pity, or the feelings that our lives are not worth living any longer. Satan could have been trying to do that to Jesus. Just give it up now, Jesus. But we need to counteract counteract every wrong thought and doubt that comes from the enemy with God's word, which empowers us and gives us strength to overcome. Not only was Jesus tested physically in his body, mentally, in his mind and his thought patterns, but we hear, we see finally in this chapter that Satan taught to trap sought to trap him spiritually. So the third way he tested him was in a spiritual sense. He tempted him in his spirit. The devil tested him in that very part that communes with God. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him their splendor and glory. And this time he goes straight to the nub of the argument by declaring, <laughs> he says, all of this I'll give to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Now, for goodness sake, why does Satan try to tempt Jesus to bow down and worship him? Why would he even try to plant that thought within the heart, spirit and mind of Jesus? I want you to know this was a very important spiritual battle taking place here between Jesus and the devil. This was early on in the ministry of Jesus, before he called his disciples and before he'd done miracles. Jesus knew why he'd come into the world. He knew people needed to be redeemed from their sin and set free from Satan's power in their lives. He knew that mankind needed a saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ was to be our saviour and is our saviour. Our redemption could only be achieved through his sinless life, his death and resurrection. But Satan tries to attack him in his spirit to tempt him to think that he should worship him. And the reason he said that is because he's described in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 as the God of this age who's blinded the minds of unbelievers. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 tells us, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Satan is described as a ruler of the kingdom of the air, and he has the kingdom of the world under his control. And he was effectively trying to persuade Jesus that he could have all the kingdom of the world under his control if only he'd bow down and worship him, Satan. In other words, I know that I rule here on earth because of I hold men in my power and they sin because that's what I want them to do. So if you want all the glory and the splendor, just bow down to me. Again, the immediate response of Jesus was to rebuke him with the words from scripture. Deuteronomy 6.13, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In fact, Jesus commanded the devil to leave him at that point, which is exactly the same decision that we should make when we deal 
with the devil's temptations to cause us to sin or when he implants things in our minds that are not right or he causes our spirit to lose contact and communion with God because of the way we're behaving. Matthew 4 verse 10 tells us that Jesus said to him, get out of here, Satan. And verse 11 says that the devil left him. That's exactly what will happen when we tell Satan to go. We have that power and authority. He will go and leave us because we are under the rule and power and authority of Jesus Christ. We should tell Satan to get out of our lives when he tempts us. He will flee from us when we use God's word to resist him. James 4 verse 7 tells us that. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5 9 backs this up. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Jesus knew who he was. He knew why he'd come to earth. He was in constant communion with his father. He was able to deal with all these temptations. And we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to recognize the power and authority that God has given to us to deal with these temptations. The power, the word of God is a powerful weapon and tool, and we should avail ourselves of it when dealing with the enemy. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Ephesians 6 17 says take the helmet of salvation, that very piece of um, defense mechanism that will protect our minds. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and that's a weapon. Again, the reference here is to the rhema word of God, the specific word that is applied to specific situations that will deal with the devil. Jesus used the word of God powerfully and he allowed it to live in him at all times. And we should follow example when we are dealing with those spiritual battles in our lives. So let's learn to apply the word of God to situations when we feel tempted. Let's put the devil in his place and let's keep in constant communion with our heavenly father who gives us the strength to overcome the devil. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I'm crucified with Christ today. And I, it isn't the I that lives, but Christ who lives through me and in me. We have the life of Jesus living in us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to enable us to overcome all things, every situation. Romans 8.37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it's very important that Jesus won that particular spiritual battle against Satan right at the start of his earthly ministry. However, I believe the greatest spiritual battle that Jesus fought was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke record the distress, the sweat, the tears of Jesus when he prayed alone to his father with these words, Oh, my father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Luke 22 verse 44 records these words. He says, being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, these are the words of a doctor. He was a medical man and he talks about Jesus um, his sweat was like drops of blood. And I understand that there is a medical condition called hematidrosis in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands can rupture, causing them to exude blood. This can occur under conditions of extreme physical, emotional stress as a result of acute fear, anguish, 
intense medical contem- mental contemplation. So there's no doubt that Jesus was facing something really huge here. There would have been fear and anguish in his heart and spirit and mind of what he was to, to face. This was a great spiritual test that he had as he battled alone in prayer. But I believe the victory was won there in the garden because I think the distress and the anguish of Jesus was not just about his unjust trial. It was not about the cruel flogging. It was not even about enduring the long hours of a cruel and painful death on a Roman cross. It was not even just about that. I believe it was the knowledge that there was going to be a spiritual separation from his father that would take place when he hung on the cross for our sins because all the world's sins were laid upon the sinless Christ. And Jesus had always been in constant communion with God, his father. He'd never been separated from him. But this separation had to happen because God is a holy God. He can't look on sin. And if you remember, Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone in that moment as a man. And as he hung on that cross, And as the son of God, suddenly there was separation from his heavenly father, who'd always been in contact with. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And at that point on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. That separation from God meant that the whole mission had been accomplished. He died, he gave his life for us, and our sins were taken away when we yield to him, and we are set free. So I wonder, was Satan there in the garden, trying to dissuade Jesus from going through what was about to happen to him? Was he trying to persuade him to abandon the plan of salvation? Was he saying to him, you don't have to do this? Each of the gospel writers record that Jesus went off alone three times to pray. And before he leaves them, he gave them this advice in Mark 14, 38. He said, keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus knew the severe testing he would undergo. He was warning them to be watchful and diligent in prayer so they would not fall into temptation. Jesus came through his greatest spiritual test by praying to his father and so We need to pray regularly for ourselves and for each other to come through our times of testing. And in conclusion today, I just want to say that back at Theological College in the early 70s, Paul and I were taught about the kenosis theories, which is all about Jesus. Explains that Jesus, although he was God and is God, he chose to become a man. He chose to divest himself of his divinity in order to live in human flesh and become a man. He relied totally upon the Holy Spirit. He relied totally upon prayer and the word of God to overcome all temptations. Luke 4 verse 13 tells us at the end of that particular time of testing that the devil left him for a season. Another version says until the next opportunity came or until a more opportune moment. So the devil would keep returning to tempt and test Jesus. But no matter how many times he was tempted and tested in every single way that you and I are tempted and have been tested in our lives, physically, mentally and in our spirits. The Bible says he did not sin. He walked in constant communion with God, his father. And we need to do just the same. When I was a teenager, I used to sing a song. 
in a church quartet and one of the songs contained these words. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And he died alone because he was obeying his father's will. He was doing what was right and he overcame the tempter. Another great hymn that we often sing says this, he emptied himself of all but love and he bled for Adam's helpless race. So Adam, who brought that sin into the world in the first place through succumbing to the Satan, Satan's tests and temptation, Jesus is the second Adam who brings us into liberation and freedom because he was sinless and died for us. Jesus was assailed and tempted by Satan in his body, in his mind and in his spirit. But he overcame the, the, the devil and he has modelled to each of us how we can overcome temptation today. Remember that God has given us the tools and the weapons to use to overcome the evil one. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Once we lived under the authority of the devil and our sinful nature. But now we have been set free by Christ. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us and therefore sin does not have to be our master any longer. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to give us the power and authority to resist the devil. Using God's word and by prayer to our Heavenly Father asking for his divine strength. Jesus is a wonderful and supreme example of how to overcome the devil and to live our lives valiantly and victoriously for him. So yes, he was tempted in his body. He was tempted in his soul. He was tempted in his spirit, physically, mentally, spiritually. And he overcame the tempter with the power of the word of God. So let us today seek to emulate Jesus and put into practice every single day all that he demonstrated to us. May God bless this word to your hearts.